One more time. Let's go. Oh, that was so good. You know what else is good? Good Friday services. Coming up in about less than three weeks away, 12, 10, and 6, 10, all of our campuses, same service, just different times. Uh, if you need to come on lunch break, the service will be done by 1 o'clock, so you can hopefully head back. If not, come after work, 610. If you're a Christ follower, you got to be here. It's an incredible service to celebrate all Jesus has done for us on the cross. But the cross was not the final answer, was it? The resurrection was. And so we sell the same service, just different times, Sandusky and Norwalk, and then uh, 830, 10, 1130, like we normally do for Easter. It's going to be a fantastic time, and if you were here last week, uh, uh, you know this, but if you're new this week or weren't here last week, if you come in, you see there's this canvas with all kinds of names written on it, and those are just first names of people we're praying for that we're going to invite the church, whether that's a schoolmate or, it's a, or someone at work or a friend or family, whoever that is, that we want to see them here at Easter. You just put their first name on there. It allows our staff and pastors and other people to pray for them. Pick up a card on the back of the card. There's a QR code. If, a, if someone scans that, um, I show up and I'll invite them to uh, Easter service. And if you don't want me to do that, don't take a card. You just tell them. <laughs> and then uh, the kids are doing the same thing this week. It's so cool. I saw a kid leaving. He had a name of a, maybe a, a classmate or someone that he plays sports with. And it invites them to church too. And they're writing their friends' names today in our Chapel Kids hallway to pray for them. So it's really cool we get to do that together. But for today, uh, I'm so excited because there's a passage of scripture that I assume probably 80% of us in this room know, if not more. I didn't grow up in the church, but I knew this passage of scripture. It's oftentimes read at funeral services. It's one that has been taught to us from a little uh, baby, it seems like, and it's Psalm 23. And for the next three weeks, we're going to pick apart Psalm 23 to see what it has to say for real life. And so what we want to do is we want to read Psalm 23 together. Would you stand with me out of respect for God's word? And I'll lead us and please read along. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his same sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Again, this is a passage that many of us know, but when is the last time we allowed Psalm 23 to shape us, to lead us, to guide us in this life? Again, oftentimes we read that at a funeral, and I understand why, but then sometimes I think, why aren't we reading this every day in our lives? Because God wants to lead us. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, 1 through 3 today, Psalm 23, 4 through 5 next week. And then April 9th and 10th, we'll be looking at Psalm 23, 6 in anticipation for baptism weekend that weekend. So if you're being baptized or God's pulling you to that, because we will have spontaneous baptisms that day too, uh, what a great, great text to uh, celebrate baptism with. But for today, I want to look at Psalm 23, 1 through 3. And before we even look at that, if you're looking at Psalm 23 in your Bibles or on your phone right now, 
you notice right before we get into verse 1, it says something like this. Psalm of David. This is what we call a postscript. Postscripts tell us who wrote the Psalms. And above all kinds of different Psalms, it says this is a Psalm of David or whoever it is. And this one is a Psalm of David. And even if that wasn't true, meaning even if there wasn't a Psalm of David above it, as you read this Psalm, you probably could figure out it's David. And the reason is when we look at 1 Samuel 17, we are introduced to David. And David is a shepherd boy who ends up going to kill Goliath. So we see right away in Psalm 23 that David is going to lean on his shepherding. He's going to lean on his knowledge of interacting with sheep, so to speak, to show us who God is. And so when we look at verse 1, it starts off with, the Lord is my shepherd. Now that phrase, those words, the Lord, in Hebrew can be translated to mean Jehovah or Yahweh. That was the kind of name that God told the Israelites to call him. And that name is significant because it's God's grandness. He is a creator. He is a sustainer. He is eternal. He is huge. He is beyond our, all, beyond our understanding. And so he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. But David doesn't just say God is grand and eternal and he's just out there. Because look at how David juxtaposes this. There's the Lord, the grandness, and then it says, he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd, meaning he is intimately caring for our lives, just like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, I did not grow up in the country. I am not a farm boy. I couldn't survive a farm life. I wish I could but the closest boots that I have to having cowboy boots are these from Kohl's, okay? I don't understand that life. So I don't understand sheep. I am a suburban boy. And so I've been reading this book that goes alongside of Psalm 23. It's by a guy named Philip Keller. Philip Keller not only was a pastor, he was a shepherd. He shepherded sheep in Africa and in North America. And so he wrote Psalm 23 for us to understand who God is from a pastoral perspective, but also the Lord is our shepherd. And so he wanted to give insights into how God is a shepherd. And in this book, he explains all about the relationship between the shepherd and sheep. And it's interesting, he says this. Sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. And then he says this, it is no accident that God has call, chosen to call us sheep. To say that they need meticulous care and careful attention is Philip Keller's really nice way to put that sheep are dumb. <laughs> and we are called sheep, which means that we're always not the smartest people either. And if you don't believe me about sheep, and I think this also describes humans, take a look. А Буш, отойди. Нет. Он боится и так нас отойдет. А Буш, отойди. Нет. Какой он маленький, очень сильный. Потяни сейчас. Вверх потяни. Ой, умничка, Риад, умничка. Ногу не сломай, дай ему. Умничка, умничка. За обе ноги. 
They are not being mean to that sheep, I promise. Молодец, я умничка. Умничка. Все, операция удалась. Oh my goodness. Is that not real life? Like, I watch that, and I'm thinking, I just need to watch it every day, because that's how I live my life. Like, God finally gets me out, and then, boom, I'm back right into it. Am I not lying here? I mean, sheep are described as the most stubborn group of animals in God's kingdom. They think they know what is right. Sheep are also fearful and worried and spooked about everything. And what makes a sheep really dumb is that they will follow other sheep to wherever they want to go, even though that can lead to their demise. I remember reading a story of a sheep, well, actually, a, a group of a cattle, a sheep? See, I don't know anything. Cowboys? Uh, what, do, what do you call a group of sheep? A flock. Oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> flock of sheep. And this one sheep went over the bank to his death. And you would think the other sheep would come up and say, what are you doing? No, they just jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped. Finally, a lot of them died, which was sad, but then a lot of them lived because they started to pile on the other sheep. I mean, how dumb is that? Not so dumb. Because we're the same. Are we not stubborn? Are we not prideful? Are we not arrogant? Do we think we know everything? We sure know better than anybody else, don't we? And fear and worry? How many of us stay up late at night working through these thoughts in our mind? We can't sleep because we're worried about tomorrow, even though Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. We do. We're fearful. We're scared. That's why the Bible has 365 verses that go along with once a day for fear and worry. We're just like the sheep. And don't we oftentimes jump when other people jump as well? We know that we should get to the edge and stop, but oftentimes we don't. And it leads to our own demise. In other words, God finally pulls us out. And then we jump back in. A shepherd knows his sheep. And knows exactly what they need. Even though the sheep are not always the smartest animal. And our God is not just the Lord. He is our shepherd. And he knows exactly what we need. The question is, what is our greatest need? Well, Jesus came along. In John chapter 10, verse 14, and explained exactly what our greatest need is. Here's what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. There it is again. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. There's this intimacy in this shepherd and sheep relationship that we have with God. If that's the case, then he says in verse 15, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. God knows us so well that he will not... Leave us out to pasture. That was a sheep pun. Didn't really go over as well as I thought it would go over. That's okay. I have one more service. First service didn't catch it either, but it's true. Jesus knows the greatest need in your life isn't for more money. It isn't for success or climbing the corporate ladder. He knows that the greatest need for his sheep is for him to give his life for them is to look at us in the eye and say, your greatest need is to see that you have wandered away 
and I have come to get you. One of my favorite stories in scripture in Luke 15, right before the prodigal son, is this shepherd who would go after the one sheep, leave the 99 behind to go after the sheep to save it. That's what Jesus does. He goes after us. He goes to the slaughter, Isaiah 53 says, so that you and I can be spared from it. He gives us life, eternal life, life beyond the grave. That's what we'll celebrate in three weeks, but life here as well. So many times we talk about Jesus and we talk about eternal life, and that is so true. Praise God for hope. But we miss the life that God has for us here, a life of peace, a life of goodness, a life of love, a life of hope. And Psalm 23 is all about how God wants to shepherd us as we journey through this life. That's why, again, when we look at Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is whose shepherd? Say it. My shepherd. Your shepherd. Our shepherd. Yes, Jesus died for all of us, and he has many, many a sheep, but he has one that he loves the most, and that's you, that's me. He wants to journey with you. And when David says the Lord is my shepherd, what he's saying is the rest of Psalm 23 is all about how God intends to guide us in the everyday ups and downs of life. And so the rest of verse 1 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember hearing this verse for the first time thinking David is a superhero. He has no wants. He has no needs. He has no desires. But when you look at David's life, when you look at the other psalms that he writes, you know that's not true. David is just as human as you and I. Though he may be close to God and being a man after God's own heart, he has desires and needs and dreams and goals and all of these things. But at the end of the day, he says, I do not want, which means this, and catch this. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what I have or don't have, I have all that I need. I have all that I want because all of my wants and needs are fulfilled in my relationship with God. He is all that I need. And when you get to the point when life falls apart, or even if life is really good, but at the end of the day, you can say, he is all that I need. He is all that I want. You will have the peace and contentment and happiness that you and I are longing for. It's interesting, Paul, writing to the Philippian church, says a verse that many of us know by heart, just like we know Psalm 23. He says this, for I can do everything, all things through Christ who gives me strength. Who has said this verse before, or has thought this verse before? Raise your hand. So many of us have. We're going through a hard time. The Lord is my strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I want to go win a game, or I want a promotion, or I want this, and I can do it because I can do everything through Christ. What if I told you this is the most misinterpreted verse in Scripture? It's so interesting. What we are saying oftentimes when we claim this verse, we are saying, God, here are my dreams, here are my desires, I'm going to go after them, and I, once I finally get them, I'll be happy, and I know you are going to give me the strength to get there. Do you know what the preceding verses say? You can't just pluck a scripture out and just say, oh yeah, this is for me. Know what it says beforehand, because it sure sounds like what David says in Psalm 23, verse 1. Here's what it says. 
not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Paul's saying, I have needs, but what I have, I'm okay with. Why? I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he says, for I can do everything, all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because he says all that I need is in Jesus. All that I want is in Jesus. If he gives me my dreams and my hopes, great. But even if I don't, even if I don't have what I want, I have what I need because I have Jesus. You and I live in a culture that says you will have what you want once you get more money, once you have the job that you want, once you get more speaking engagements, whatever that is, you'll finally have what you want. And it's no wonder that so many of us in this world are anxious, fearful, and unhappy. Because even people that get what they want, they still don't have what they need. That is scary. I think of Thomas Merton that says this, I spend my whole life climbing a ladder and when I get to the top I realize that I've been climbing up the wrong wall the whole time the scariest thing is to get everything you want and you still have needs that aren't met Jesus says Paul says David says you can have everything you need you can have everything if you want if God is who you need and who you want if he is your cornerstone like we just sang is he if he is the bedrock, if he is the center, then no matter what happens today or tomorrow, you will be okay. For, because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Because you've learned the secret of happiness and contentment. That you have all that you need in Jesus. David goes on in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Both of these are metaphors for soul rest. If a if a sheep can be led to these still waters or these lush, lush green pastures, they can finally sit down and rest and be at peace. The problem is it's really hard to get a sheep to do that. Even though it's what they are supposed to do and what they need, oftentimes they are anxious, they are fearful, they are worried. And there's things that goes on in a sheep's life that prevent them from actually resting. Philip Keller says there's four reasons. One, they must be fear from fear, free from fear. Second, they must be free from friction with other sheep. Third, they must be free from flies or other pests so they can relax. And four, they must be fed and freed from feeling hungry. Of all the things that a sheep has to do to get rest, I really resonate with number four. I know I, if I'm hungry, I'm not sleeping really well. So I've worn a path down to the refrigerator about two in the morning many a times. <laughs> but how true is it? That God is inviting you and I to lay down, to go by his side, still waters and find contentment and rest and peace. And we are the most restless people. It's because we too have things against somebody. We too have things, ailments that are upon us. We too have needs and wants. We too have fears. And so when those things are happening, good luck finding rest. And yet, David says he wants to help you lie down. He wants to lead you to rest. It's interesting. A sheep finally will be content and restful, even if some of these things are still going on, if they see the shepherd. If they see their shepherd coming 
and being in their midst, even with these things going on, they still can find rest. How true is it for you and I? You will never have perfect circumstances. While you and I know that, oftentimes we probably think, once I get this, once I have this, once I do this, once this happens to me, then I'm going to rest. Then my soul will be at peace. And we never do. So it's no accident. When we get to Psalm 4, David again writes this, and he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, will keep us safe. Just that first part, like, just to rest. Physical rest. Is there anything better than a good night's sleep? No. And that's what we're meant to do. And when you read this about David, you think, good for him. He's sleeping eight hours a night. Must be nice. I dare you to read the first seven verses of this this, uh, passage here. David is crying out that his, his name is being tarnished. People are lying about him. He has enemies. And he is just telling God all of these things, all of these things. And then finally, it's as if the shepherd comes in his midst. And then he says, okay, now that he is here, even though life is falling apart, everything is still bad, I can rest. What would it look like for you to go to bed tonight and not be dominated by your fears and your unending thoughts? What would it look like to go to bed knowing that life is still falling apart, but you can go to sleep? Not just physically, but that you can find soul rest. It's possible when we understand that the Lord is keeping us safe, that he is our shepherd, that he is all that I want. That you too can go to sleep tonight, even though things may not be good, but somebody else or at your job or whatever's going on, and you can still find rest if you allow the shepherd to be in your midst. And when you recognize him, then we can lay down. Then we can go beside still waters and find that he is all that we need. David, he goes on and he says, he will restore my soul. I love that word restore. It always reminds me of pictures like this. An old car or old piece of furniture that ends up being restored back to new. My wife, she restores furniture on the side once in a while and people will bring things over and I'm like thinking, I look in my garage, I'm like, why don't people just go to Target and buy something new? It's way cheaper and it's going to be way nicer. And then I hear the story behind it. This was in my family. Or when I moved from house to house to house, this was this table. Or I'm cheap. I don't want to get a a new table and chairs. Would you please refinish it? But most of the time, it means something. That's why people who end up restoring their car or their furniture, they don't just say, I'm just going to start over and get something new. No, though it's tarnished and though there's rust and though it's broken, eventually it will be restored back to new. Do you realize it's exactly what David is saying in the psalm? He is talking about a soul who is, what is the central point of who we are, is tarnished. Over time, we get that way, don't we? I mean, think about it. When we're a kid, we're kind of naive. And we got older, we learned some things, and then we did some things. Then over time, we walk away from God because we want to live our own lives. Or we get stuck in sin that we justify. Or we pick up a habit that we think everyone else is doing it. What's the big deal? And over time, it tarnishes our soul. That's why when we try to give up an addiction or a habit or try to change our lives, we can't. 
because it's affected the central part of who we are. And if God could start over, we would probably think, yeah, go ahead. I mean, just get somebody new. Look at the shape of who I am. But God doesn't want to start over. Our God is not a scrap God. He is a restorer and redeemer God who takes whatever condition you are in and whatever ever situation you're in, and he promises to reshape you and repaint you and refinish you so that you can look like that in an after picture in your own souls. But there's only one way that he'll do it. Not in our terms, but on his. And right after he says that he restores my soul, he tells us how. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about the time when you and I go off course. We find ourselves like that sheep in a ditch, and then we jump back in the ditch, back in that ditch. We are on our own path. Anytime we sin, anytime we make a choice, other than God's way, we are choosing our own path. God says, come back to mine. Come back to my path. It's a righteous path, which means it's the right path. It's the north star for our souls. We will be aligned to where we need to go. Righteousness simply means being right with God, and it means being on that path with him. If you want to get back with God, you don't have to wait till tomorrow. You can do it now. He has his hand as his shepherd guiding you back to his path, and he will restore you. He will give you the peace that you're longing for and the rest and hope and everything because he's on that path and he invites you to join him. And what's so cool is when you're on that path, not only will you be happy and content and satisfied, you will also live for his glory, for his name's sake. So when you live, people see you and they want to be like you. And not only do they want to be like you, they want to know who made you and who you are and you get to point back to God. That's what it means to glorify God. Living in such a way that points to him. He will shepherd you. Will you allow him to? This past Tuesday, I woke up. It was a normal Tuesday. And then by the end of the day, it wasn't. Something happened. I was blindsided. Didn't see it coming. I was hurt. I was angry. I was broken sad and this thing took me off course for the next about 12 to 24 hours I just I wasn't myself I was living for my own self I was acting out of my own self that was not Jesus and eventually I started to think about today and I started to think about the text I started to think about Psalm 23 I said Lord this is not an accident. You promise not just to be a shepherd, you promise to be my shepherd. And the shepherd's role is to protect us. And Jesus said, I want to protect you. I want to lead you, but you have to do it my way. And even if you do it my way, I'm not may not spare you the pain. You may have to go through a deep valley. But I am going to be with you every step of the way. And eventually, my anger subsided. My bitterness subsided. And I felt peace. My situation did not subside. 
And it won't for a while. I had peace. I had to come to a point where what I want here isn't going to happen. But if I have God, and even if this doesn't happen, I have all that I want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he is my source of strength. He is all that I need. And I realized that God was inviting me to a place of rest, soul rest. So even though the first two nights I barely slept, the third night I slept well because he said, if you trust me, if you rest in me, even though life is falling apart, I will give you not just physical rest, but soul rest. And then throughout this process, I started to see, oh, it's not just this person or this situation. I can be at fault too. And so he's showing me, I want to restore you. Restore you in the name of my son. But you got to come back to my path and do it my way. This life is hard. And you're going to get blindsided. There are things that are going to happen that people will disappoint you. The people that you thought you knew. There are things that are going to happen that you're going to suffer. There are people in your life that are going to die. And you can go your own path. And you can do it in your own strength. Or you can take the hand of my shepherd, your shepherd. And he will lead you and guide you. He is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leads me. He leads me to rest in green pastures and beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. But he has to be your shepherd. Will you grab on to his hand? pray together. Father, if there's anybody in this room who recognizes they are not on the path of righteousness, would you show them right now through your Holy Spirit? Convict them and invite them. What is it, Lord, in this room that we're justifying, that we've gotten used to, that everybody else does? Bring us back. Lord, what are some ways that we're discontent where we keep wanting more and more and more and more and even though we get it, we're not satisfied? Shepherd, would you guide us to know that you're all that we need and all that we want and everything else is details? And for those of us in this room who can't rest, we're always going and going and going and always on our phone and always doing the next thing. You promise a good night's sleep and a good day's rest. We find our rest in you. Shepherd is Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Have a good Sunday.